Have you ever broken a bone? Oh, excellent question. Uh, yes, but it's a pretty embarrassing story. Brilliant. Oh, God. Hello. That's the sort of thing we need. Yes. Uh, Okay. So I'm about 12. I've grown about six inches in one summer and my mother sends me to track camp. That was quite a growth spur. Yeah, it hurt. Imagine that. I'm a tall lady. All right, so you've gone to track camp. Yeah, because that's what you do with your your tall child during the summer. And they... um, (laughs) Not your short child. (laughs) Just your tall ones. (laughs) And they make me... uh, They make me do the tall hurdles. They have like the baby bunny hurdles for Mm. the younger kids. And they're like, you're old enough. You can do the tall ones. I don't want to do the tall ones because I know I'm going to trip. And then guess what happens? You trip. I trip. And and you bray... My elbow. Your elbow. Mm. Terrible. That's going to be a fun summer. Yeah, it was pretty itchy. That cast was not hygienic. Oh, they never are, are they? Nope. Did you get some really good scribbles on it? Did anyone do any pictures yeah. that weren't like, you know, the classic? <laughs> I don't know if there's anything too interesting on there. Okay. I remember You really... didn't keep it, right? Because it would stink. Oh, yeah, it was gross. It was disgusting. But I actually remember my favorite part of that, being a nerdy kid, was looking at my x-ray. Because you could see the fracture. X-ray, you say? Oh, is that a, a very X-ray, clever... X-ray, you say? Segway? Mm. Today's episode <laughs> is all about an accidental discovery. We what? love, I mean, we love those. Wait, I didn't this. know that happened with x-rays though. Yeah, it did. Yeah. And this one solved a, um, it solved a long lasting mystery and brought about a revolution in medicine. Huh. That is, of course, x-rays. However, it also leads to the frankly unnecessary death of countless people, Ooh. including someone close to Thomas Edison as well, actually. Huh. I've decided to make this a story of two people, one man, one woman. The guy is the story of the discovery of x-rays, right? And the lady, it's a chapter in her life that you may have not heard about. That lady is Mary Curie. Oh, wow. And she was actually involved in the x-ray story. She does something amazing. But first, welcome back to Surprisingly Brilliant. This is a science history podcast from Seeker that tells the stories of surprising yet brilliant discoveries, ideas, and people. I'm Maren Hunsberger. I'm about to listen to Greg tell this story today. I'm Greg Foote. For this episode, I am the storyteller. Our expert for this episode is Dr. Esan Sami. Oh, I loved chatting to him, but I'm going to let him introduce himself. My name is Esan Sameh. I am a medical physicist. Uh, I'm a professor of radiology, uh, medical physics, physics, electrical engineering, and biomedical engineering at Duke University. And I uh, consider myself an imaging scientist focused in the area of medical imaging physics. So just a really smart guy then. (laughs) (laughs) Oh man, we so often have experts who have like the longest titles ever. They're clearly all massively underachievers. Yeah, 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 yeah. (laughs) Not, not bothered at all about achieving things. Right. Okay. It is 1895. The guy in this story is a German mechanical engineer and physics professor who goes by the name Wilhelm Röntgen. Wilhelm. Well, Röntgen is a physicist. He's 50 years old. He's the head of the physics department in a, in a university in Bavaria in Germany. And he's trying to investigate the properties of this new... Uh, physical apparatus called cathode ray tube or Crookes tube. Okay, so the Crookes tube, all right? Crookes tube? It's a glass tube which has been partially evacuated, which means that uh, some of the gas inside has been taken out. So it's, so not, it's a vacuum? No, it's not a complete vacuum. Mm. Uh, it's like a partial vacuum mm. inside. There's a little bit there. A couple of wires go inside it 
and they are connected to a high voltage power supply. So you've got the negative terminal, that's the minor symbol that you see on a battery, that's called the cathode, that goes into the back of the tube, and then the positive terminal, uh, it's the plus symbol you get on a battery. That's called the anode. That goes up into the middle of the tube and onto a metal cross, right? Greg's gesturing in front of himself I'm, I'm here. Dra- I'm drawing this, <laughs> but actually I've got an image here for you. Okay, oh, um, okay. I so like to visualize. This, this will show you the Crooks tube at the top okay. and then what happens when you turn it on mm. at the bottom. I'd like you to describe what you see. Uh, okay, it's an actual photo of this glass apparatus. Okay, in the top part of the photo, the light's turned on and the apparatus is not illuminated. And in the bottom one, the room has gone dark. The apparatus is on and it's glowing green. Yeah, there's that weird green glow yeah. at the end of the it's tube. Science fiction y. So, researchers knew of this. They had seen this, right? And they were trying to work out what the heck is going on. Can you also see on the right hand side, there's also this big shadow within the green here. Yeah. That's essentially a shadow of that metal cross that's in the middle of the tube. Mm. So they're just like, what is going on? There seems to be some invisible light coming out of the, the cathode on the far left. It passes by the anode, by that cross, and then it casts a shadow of that in green light on the far side of the tube. Weird. Now, some people called it ectoplasm, (laughs) which for any (laughs) Ghostbusters fans like me... That's amazing. This is the green goo. 90 years before that was released in the cinema. That's crazy. I like to add. Esan's going to tell us what Ronken spots. And in his lab, and he's, uh, he's working his way out, and he, he realizes that as he's operating the X-ray tube, a fluorescent screen that is farther away from the X-ray tube well, it was not called X-ray tube then. Yeah, uh, spoiler is, alert. Uh, <laughs> right. is <laughs> actually uh, emitting light. Very faint amount of light is coming from this screen, which was not expected at all. Yeah, so Ronken notices that a fluorescent screen that he's got in another part of the lab... Just hanging out. Just, just there, right, starts glowing oh. whenever the Crooks tube is on. <laughs> This is kind of a little creepy. Yeah, right. So this is November the 8th, 1895. And I've read different sources to say it was different types of screens. Some people say it's a phosphor screen that glows. Someone said it was a a photographic plate. Someone said it was a fluorescent tube. Essan says it's a fluorescent plate. But basically, it doesn't matter. Something light sensitive lights up. When you've got this Crooks tube on, that's a cathode ray tube that glows green at the end. It's also making other things in the room glow. And I thought it'd be really bright, but actually Hassan told me, no, it wouldn't light up very much. Some people argue that Röntgen was able to see this because he was very observant, number one, as a scientist. And also he had a very, very sharp eyesight because that that illumination is not very strong. I have done that. Uh, you you can hardly see it. Um, You have to adapt your eyes to the darkness and so on to be able to see any of it. So Ronken then starts experimenting with this setup, right? He he turns it on and off and he sees that the screen goes on and off. So he he makes that kind of causal relationship. But then what he does is he puts black cardboard up around the tube Mm. so that the light, that green glow from the tube, can't spill out into the room. But the plate, the screen, still glows. What could it be? There's no light actually falling on it. Well, Röntgen thinks there must be another type of radiation, a mystery ray, right? A ray that goes through the paper. And he calls these mystery rays X-stralin. X meaning unknown, mm. just like how you use X in an equation Solve for in X, maths. Yeah. Stralin meaning beam or ray. X-rays. X-ray. Huh. 
We now know what X-rays are. They are electromagnetic radiation. So they are they belong to the same class of radiation that we have heat and we have light and we have radio waves. So these are all the same type of reality. Uh, and depending on the wavelength of the waves, you will have very high frequency or very low frequency, very high wavelength or very low wavelength. The wavelength of X-rays is about a thousand times shorter than that of visible light that we've got around us. Got it. So at that time, 1895, Röntgen doesn't know what these X-rays are. Because this is before our understanding of the electromagnetic spectrum and that there are some kinds of light that are invisible. Exactly. So he starts to experiment with them a lot. He realized that the shadows that he's observing on the fluorescent screen also can be recorded on the photographic screen, if you will. At the time, photography was very popular. People were taking photographs and he had photographic sensors in uh, his laboratory. So just to kind of outline this, so phosphorus screens would be a piece of glass with phosphor on them. Mm. Um, it's not actually the element phosphor, it's actually a compound which produces light when essentially high energy electrons fall on them. Mm. A fluorescent screen or fluorescent tube, similar to a phosphor screen, uh, for the tube there's gas inside, it's coated with phosphor inside it, and if you run an electric current through your fluorescent tube, that actually produces something UV, ultraviolet, mm. actually, and that makes that phosphor glow. A photographic plate, which we're now talking about using, this was used before photographic film. So essentially you've got a thin piece of glass covered in a light-sensitive emulsion of silver salts. And when light falls on it, it turns from black to white. So um, fluorescent tubes you can turn on and off, but photographic plates, you know, you expose and then it, it, it produces that image and it stays there. So he's playing with the photographic plate. What he's doing is he's putting his hand in between the crook's tube and the photographic plate. And he sees that in this projected image on the photographic plate, his skin is translucent. It's see-through, but his bones <gasps> are opaque. They are dark. The extral and the x-rays are not going through his bones. Whoa. So like they can just go through the paper, like in, the, in his very first initial observation that led him to believe that this is invisible rays, it's going through his soft tissue too, and not his bones. So he asks his wife, Anna Bertha, to put her hand in front of a photographic plate. Wait, do we have the photo? Yeah, this produces this iconic image. First ever x-ray? Holy crap. I've seen this before. I think I've seen this before. I mean, it's pretty creepy, to be honest, because it's, you know, it's the bones of a hand and she's got what I assume is her wedding ring on because it's on her her left hand, her wedding, her ring finger of her left hand. And it looks like an x-ray. Interestingly, I've actually put two different versions on there because I'm not sure which one is the original. In different places, they, they get, oh, it's this picture. And then I see a different photo in other places. And both of them are what looks like a lady's hand with a ring mm -hmm. on, on the fourth. Mm -hmm. They're beautiful. It's cool. It's creepy. It's exciting. And what year is that? This is 1895. Oh, wow. There's a bit of, bit of debate over whether that is the first x-ray image ever actually taken. I mean, Röntgen was taking images before he got his wife to take the pictures, but 
It's a pretty cool image. That's the iconic one. Yeah. And she must actually get it taken because I read that um, her response was, I have seen my death. <laughs> I mean, oh, that's a good point. Like you would have never seen your own skeleton before. Yeah. Yeah, I would be creeped out. Everything then happens really quickly for x-rays. They revolutionize medicine uh, and they also become the latest entertainment fad. What? But I'm going to get to all that after a quick break. Welcome back to Surprisingly Brilliant. Uh, this excellent episode is on X-rays. <laughs> Ronken has discovered this new type of ray, this mystery ray, the X-ray. And he quickly publishes. And I mean quickly, right? He starts his investigations in early November of 1895. His paper comes out weeks later. It's at the turn of the year and it's titled On a New Kind of Rays. I asked um, Essan to actually reflect on Ronken's work, you know, why it took him to identify that faint glow and to figure out what's going on. On November 8th, he sees something and he was not expecting. It was not part of his plan. So he didn't go into the lab to discover x-rays, but he was in the lab for a different purpose. So it definitely had a goal in mind, but he's put that goal aside. And from that date until the end of December, he does nothing else other than exploring these strange phenomena that was not part of his plan to the level that, and then he realized there is something really remarkable happening here. And he puts it out in a public domain for everybody to use. Many of us don't have that presence of mind or courage or selflessness or patience, honestly, to go after these kind of leads. I love that. I feel like that speaks so much to being a scientist, to be in the lab for another purpose and then notice something really weird over here that may be kind of unrelated and then spend, I don't know, the rest of your career or a significant <laughs> amount of time and energy pursuing that. Mm, it's, it's like observation, presence, mm -hmm. uh, presence of mind to kind of realize what it is, but then also the time to be able to dedicate to it. Yeah, I thought he put that kind of so beautifully. Yeah. When Runken publishes, he apparently also mails his colleagues that photo of Anna's hand. I mean, you would. Which, it's remarkable. As you said, it's kind of cool, but at the same time, scary. Do you imagine getting that in the mail? You open open the post from your friend Rungan and then you're like, ah, ah. <laughs> yeah, Asan kind of made the same point to me as, as as you did when you saw them. Remember, this is a Victorian, Victorian era. We don't see bones. You only see bones when people are dead. Uh, it's a time that everything is covered. Our bodies are covered. Uh, we have thick clothing and then we have thick skin protecting the stuff that is uh, inside. Uh, and then suddenly our bodies are proven transparent and you can see the bones through it. Well, and this is the Victorian times too, right? People are, you know, have the reputation of being a little bit obsessed with modesty. And if, imagine seeing a woman's ankle is scandalous, seeing a woman's bones, it's like be the ultimate version of being naked. <laughs> so there, there is actually this whole debate on whether it's okay right, if for it's like men proper. to look at pictures <gasps> of, of, of x-ray images of That's women. Funny. So uh, yeah, you're, you're totally right. So he publishes and his work is reproduced by others. And then its application in medicine is immediately obvious. Right. Quickly, again, this leads to the birth of radiology, mm. of creating and using medical images to diagnose diseases. Just 14 days after his announcement of x-rays, the first dental radiograph is taken. It's taken by Friedrich Otto Wolkhoff of Friedrich Otto Wolkhoff, right? It's, yeah. it's the first dental selfie. 
<laughs> he does it on himself. Yeah, he takes um, he takes a like ordinary bit of photographic glass plate, wraps it in rubber, and then puts it in his mouth, holds it um, in between his teeth and his tongue, and then get this, he lays on the floor for a twenty-five minute exposure. <gasps> oh, that's not good. That's not going to be comfortable, is it? Yeah, for twenty-five minutes with the thing in his mouth. Yeah, Ooh. yeah. Within a year of that announcement of X-rays, the first radiology department opens in a Glasgow hospital. Whoa! So they really they immediately start using it of in course. medicine. Yeah. yeah, of course, because they're like, we can now see inside the body. Yeah. Look at the power of this. You get some amazing x-ray images. That Glasgow University, the head of the department there is Dr. John McIntyre. He produces the first x-ray of a kidney stone Whoa. and an x-ray of a penny stuck in the throat of a child. <laughs> Also in that first year, x-ray is, is used to make a diagnosis. Of what? Dr. Hall Edwards used it to discover a needle in a woman's hand. Oh, mm. ouch. Asan adds to this timeline for us. You know, by 1900, which is like four years after this, we have the first conference of radiology in the US. Uh, at that point, there are like 200 extra tubes in the US already operational. Uh, and there is enough science and enough work to be done that there is a convention uh, to be hold, wow. to be held. I think somewhere in Boston, I believe, in 1900. I mean, X-rays just revolutionised medicine. So we're now in the early 20th century. There's no cure for tuberculosis for TB. Right. The only treatment is rest in a sanatorium. Ugh. Or like fresh air, go to the seaside. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's a treatment people often go for, isn't it? Sanatorium, the rest thing, only really helps TB if it's identified early enough. And that was done by listening to your chest. You had to get the stethoscope out. But now, x-rays enable images to be taken of your lungs. Oh, and, so you can see yeah, if they've got fluid in them. Well, doctors look for shadows. Mm. And those shadows were, sadly, masses of the... Um, M. tuberculosis bacteria mm. so they can actually see them. You know, it's more accurate, an earlier method of diagnosis. That meant that more people could get that treatment in inverted commas. And they're so useful that they actually become required. That meant that more people could get, you know, quote unquote, treatment. <laughs> yeah, treatment's a loose term. And they're so, they're, they're so powerful that they almost become required use. Uh, you know, in fact, to that point, uh, in 1920, there were assertions by uh, physicians that if you do not take an x-ray for a bone fracture, you will be, you are committing malpractice. Right. So required tool. Yeah, you've got, suddenly got this amazing ability to see inside if you're not using that tool. And key, there, there's enough of them available that this can be a, a standard. So they're, they're relatively easy, I'm assuming, to make and to have around. Yeah, well, Esan said that there are about 200 across the whole of the USA in 1900. Yeah. Uh, and this is kind of 20 years later he's now talking about. So, you know, they spread. They they're are all over the place. They're all over. And just six years after he publishes, Rontgen is awarded the first Nobel Prize for Physics. Really? First ever? The first ever Nobel Prize for Physics. Don't we, isn't there a unit of measurement that's a, a Rontgen as well? Yeah, there is. Yeah, it's like a measure of the exposure to X-rays. Oh, well, that makes sense. Or gamma rays, so named after named after him. There we go. Indeed. So here's Essan on the Nobel Prize. I think uh, Alfred Nobel, who I think uh, had lots of uh, uh, money from his uh, you know, invention and so on, he wanted to give that money to science and establish his award. At the, si at the time, the X-ray technology and X-ray potential has been so mesmerizing that nobody could have thought of anybody better than Rontgen 
to to receive the first Nobel Prize. And Röntgen was very selfless. He actually refused to patent his technology uh, because he thought it needs to become available uh, for the good of humanity. Uh, so he was very noble person, pun intended, uh, to receive the first Nobel Prize. Well done. I love a pun. Good work. <laughs> we know you love a pun, Greg. Anybody who listens to this podcast knows you love a pun. That was good, though. I enjoyed that. Back to the timeline, though. It's uh, 1899 and war breaks out. This is the Boer War. And this is really when x-rays come into their own again. Um, they're used to take images of broken bones so that nurses know what to strap up. And they're used to find bullets in wounded soldiers to aid surgery. Röntgen's discovery is then, of course, still super helpful in the Balkan War of 1912 and in World War I. And it is here where we meet Mary Curie. And a part of her story that I don't know if you will have heard before. Maybe not. Mm -hmm. I know her for other things, I think. Let's start at the beginning then. Um, she's actually born Maria Sklodowska, okay. not Marie, in Poland in 1867. She leaves Poland to join her sister in Paris and she studies physics and mathematics at Sorbonne University and she meets and marries Pierre Curie. So this is where she becomes Marie Curie. Exactly, as well as taking his surname, she changes her first name to the French well, version. She's in France now, darling. Mais oui, mais oui. So both Marie and Pierre work at the School of Chemistry and Physics in Paris and they're investigating, and you'll see a kind of similarity to Ronkin here, they're investigating the invisible rays given off by uranium. Oh yeah, sounds familiar. Mm. We're looking at radiation here. And is this still pre-electromagnetic spectrum understanding? I don't know how much we know about that at this point. Unlike Röntgen's rays, though, these rays the Curies are looking at have a higher energy. They travel right through bone. So you, it's, they, they couldn't be used for imaging. Exactly. Mary Curie is, is most well known for discovering... Radioactive elements? Yeah, polonium and radium. Ah. Uh, and both her and Pierre spend a long time extracting samples of these incredibly radioactive elements. They receive the Nobel Prize for this in 1903, jointly. They also share it with Henry Becquerel, who first identified the rays, the gamma rays, that are given off by uranium. To tie these two stories together even more, what I thought was really cool is that Becquerel, who's sharing this Nobel Prize with them, he discovered radioactivity while investigating the Crookes tube. <gasps> Mary then later bags herself a second Nobel Prize in 1911. This time it's in chemistry for creating a means of measuring this radioactivity. You go, girl. Then she becomes involved in the war, World War One, and this is where she enters the X-ray story. She sees how useful X-rays are in the hospitals, and she knows that they'd be even more useful on the front line to diagnose the wounded as quickly as possible. Right, but then that means you need something that's pretty portable. Right? Like you need an x-ray apparatus that you can take to the front lines of a war. She comes up with the idea of a radiological car. What? A vehicle which contains both an x-ray machine and, of course, a photographic darkroom loader Holy kit crap. to actually process the images. That's amazing. Isn't so it? it's like a, an x-ray on the go-mobile. Yeah. You know, the war is happening and there are lots of soldiers and we need to figure out what to do with the soldiers and their injuries. This is the time where Mary Curie sort of uh, is energized and he and she manages to uh, create this mobile x-ray uh, trucks essentially they go uh, to the to Belgium and to France and almost half of the soldiers are x-rayed 
during that process. Even though war is not a good thing, that became quite energizing, uh, that you actually can use this X-ray technology for very, very practical uh, use during the war. It became energizing. Sorry, this guy's got them all. Oh, <laughs> That's so great. great. So half of the soldiers in oh, World X-rayed. War One, yeah, that's what get he says. an X-ray. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's really interesting that he's like, you know, war is, of course, um, not a good thing, but mm. but it is this kind of catalyst mm. for development. I've got a photo of one of. Uh, I was going to say, I want to see Curie's radiological cars. Check this out. Whoa! It looks so old school. It's like if you took a Model T, you know, like a Ford Model T, but it looked even older, and you made it taller <laughs> and uh, a little more rickety. <laughs> Looks like it would have trouble getting places. I'm amazed. And also that they just, they put this highly technical scientific facility in the back of this, what is essentially a buggy with a motor. Yeah. And there are just so many challenges that you've got to overcome to make a radiological car practical. The first is power, right? How are you going to power all that equipment oh, yeah. out on the front line? I didn't even thought about that. She does it by using a dynamo, an electrical generator. The next issue, I guess, is actually driving it out there in the first place. There aren't nicely laid roads. She isn't a mechanic, but she learns to deal with all the faults and brakes. So she learns all that kind of practical skills to be able to do that. One source says that her uh, portable x-ray vehicle was really important in the Battle of Marne in 1914, which was a major Allied victory that kept the Germans from entering Paris. And she didn't stop at one vehicle. She wants to create a whole fleet of them. So she gets 20 Parisian women to donate vehicles that she then outfits with the x-ray equipment. Oh my God, I love that story. Plus she trains up loads of volunteers as well, female volunteers. She eventually has 150 operators uh, of what were then nicknamed the Little Curies. Oh, she's got her whole little army of little curious going out and making glowing photographs How of everyone's bones. awesome is that? That's really cool. I asked um, Essan for his, his thoughts on Curie's contribution and also how groundbreaking it was. Yes, you know, she was, uh, um, she was a woman. <laughs> and at the time, you do, did not see a lot of women in sort of uh, leading roles uh, and definitely not as scientists. She was definitely driven, and I think you see the demonstration of that in what she did. I think that really speaks to the remarkable character that she was, uh, not only being a great scientist, but also being a very practical person and very courageous person to put that great science towards great use. So true. And I just love that we usually think of Curie as the woman who is central in uh, uncovering radioactivity and radioactive elements. And yet there's this whole unsung part of her story where she sees a need and an existing technology and says, hey, we could use this in a really novel way. Yeah. What an awesome human. Yeah, pretty much. For sure. So, right. So that's Ronkin's discovery of x-rays. That's Curie's use of them on the front line and the little Curies, the radiological cars. But they really capture X-rays really capture the public's imagination as well, and they're used in all sorts of places as entertainment. Before I get to that, have some adverts. Welcome back to Surprisingly Brilliant. Um, so X-rays, not just for medicine, it turns out. As Essam mentioned earlier, photography is relatively new tech in 1895. Mm. Um, the public are getting excited about this ability to, to capture their image. And then suddenly there are the 
images of the insides of people's bodies. Scandalous. And they love it. <laughs> right? X-rays are used at birthday parties. What? Kids put on rings and then they take images of their skeletal hands, just like the first images <sighs> that Ronkin took of his wife's And I hand. loved mine. I loved looking at my X-ray. It's highly entertaining. And there are coin-operated X-ray photography no. booths at carnivals and on piers. Okay, wait, are we going to talk about how maybe this isn't like such a great idea. We are. Of course we are. But, but for now, you know, we're just talking about the positives. Just having fun. Yeah. Um, the current trend, in fact, at this time is to get a photograph of you holding skeletal hands with your bow. Oh, that's kind of cute. I mean, it's a little... Uh, morbid. A little morbid. Yeah. <laughs> It's real kind of practical use for x-rays outside of medicine and not just for entertainment. Okay. Right? Esan mentions it in um, in our chat. The most common of which is to make sure you have a good fit for your shoes, for your feet. There were apparatus that in which you go in in the you know in the shoe shops. You put in your, your foot and you see your bones, you see the outline of the shoe. And you can see how, how good of a fit you have. In fact, there were advertisements at the time that would shame mothers for refusing to use that for their children because they might have flat feet or other issues that they could sort of address if they use this modern apparatus. They're called fluoroscopes or uh, pedoscopes. And I mean, it is a really cool tool. So why wouldn't you put it to anything you could think of? And it would be kind of nice to see how your shoe, how your feet fit in your shoes. Because yeah, right now you just use your thumb and you push down. Yeah. And you're like, oh, how far is my toe go up? Yeah. Also, x-rays are so in vogue that they're cropping up in films. And the term x-ray is essentially used to promote a whole load of different products from headache tablets to stove polish. Wait, this is sounding uh, mighty familiar. <laughs> like all of the bu- scientific buzzwords that people use on products now, like wellness products. Probe- Bionic, Don't get me on free, that, on that one non-GMO, again. <laughs> all that silly stuff. Uh, but of course, there's a but. There is a mighty, mighty but with this. Yeah, I think I am seeing this one coming. Yeah, like, yeah, I mean, we haven't touched on any of the negative side of x-rays. I mean, the fact that they make you now wear a lead apron when you're getting an x-ray at the dentist or the doctor should be a pretty big red flag. <laughs> so let's rewind okay. and let's add this dimension of this story back in again. So 1896, the year after Ronken has published about x-rays uh, and that guy that we talked about who lay on the floor for 25 minutes to take Yeesh. the first dental x-ray, Wolkoff, he starts to notice that some of the patients that he is using x-rays on start losing hair on the side of their heads where he's actually fired the x-rays Yikes. at them. Sir. Then you've got an employee at a company that's making the x-ray tubes. He's complains of itching and burning on his left hand. And more and more of these stories appear. Actually, 55 cases in 1896 are kind of talk about these sorts of um, complications. And there was one notable case a few years later, 1904. It's the death of one of Thomas Edison's assistants, Clarence Daly. So Clarence and his colleagues would often work in front of X-ray emitting tubes for hours with, of course, no protection because it wasn't a thing then. And Clarence sadly got acute cancer in his hands and his hands had to be amputated. Oh my God. And then he died a few months later. Holy schmoly. That's extreme. Mm. So at the time when x-rays come out and they're just being used all over the place for everything because they're so cool and useful, we have no idea that this radiation that lets us see stuff is also maybe not that good for us. Definitely not that good for us. So what are x-rays actually doing to people's bodies? 
I asked Hassan. Well, uh, X-rays go through the body, but as they go through the body, they create shadows, right? Uh, in fact, what we capture is the shadows. That's, that's an X-ray image. So that part that creates a shadow implies that some of that X-ray gets absorbed in the body. It essentially comes from one side and does not get out from the other side. <laughs> so mm. what happens with those X-rays? They get absorbed. So when they get absorbed, what do they do? Well, they deposit their energy locally in the body. So anytime you deposit energy inside the human body, nothing good would come out of that, uh, unless you intentionally want to do that for therapeutic purposes. So that those x-rays essentially could damage some of the tissue. They can damage the DNA, which actually body, our bodies have amazing uh, abilities to actually repair some of the DNAs. Uh, we actually go through a lot of DNA damages through because of environmental factors and other things, radiation and other things as well. Uh, but when that, uh, that uh, damage becomes excessive, uh, then you can leave a mark. You can essentially affect the integrity of the DNA, which can potentially create cancer, for example, downstream, or can create like radiation burns on the skin. And such. Okay, so the very thing that makes it useful, this ability to see inside of our own tissues. Yeah, is the ability be, to move through yeah, tissue. is what messes us up because those particles are getting absorbed, those high energy particles are getting absorbed by our tissues and therefore disturbed. Isn't it interesting though to think about how things like radiation can also be used to fight cancer, right? We use radiation treatments against cancer yeah. too because we want those cells to die like cancer cells. So if we can make it super focused, focused yeah. to just the area we want, which is really hard and we still have trouble with. Interesting. Mm. So as I explained though, that you know, x-rays aren't just being used in surgery or dentistry or on the front line. They're also at carnivals and on piers. And the problem is that people just don't know how dangerous they are. I mean, there must have been countless illnesses and deaths. It, I mean, it, it boggles the mind. And people ha would have no idea what, what was causing it. Yeah, they're starting to kind of link the two together. But yet, using x-rays to see inside someone's shoes, right, starts around 1910 or so, continues until the 1950s or oh, 60s. Oh my gosh, so this goes on forever. Esau mentioned another use of x-rays in medicine. I mean, there was one report that somebody actually exposed a pregnant mother to, uh, you know, uh, more than an hour of x-rays. Oh, to man. examine the fetus. Um, and the person wrote down that actually that he, she, he would recommend that for all um, uh, pregnancy examinations as a way to ensure that everything is right because there is no documented uh, uh, evidence that there is any harm. Right. So we don't have a sonogram yet, right? You can't see inside a uterus as of yet. And now you have this new technology that lets you see your baby's spine. Of course, you'd want to use it. And make there's sure no it's evidence okay. of harm. So you're going to be like, use it, guys. Everyone should be using it. But then, oh my God, like the, the fetal tissue is so susceptible to damage as it's developing because that all of those cells are differentiating and becoming human tissues. I got my hands on my head here. This is so scary. And you're subjecting these women to hour long x-rays. No wonder. Yeah, I bet there's a lot of stuff going wrong. I actually, 
I think I feel like I read recently about the woman who first proposed that x-rays were really bad for pregnant women. Her name's Alice Stewart. She's an epidemiologist and she fights her whole life to prove that x-rays are bad for pregnancy and they're bad for fetuses and we shouldn't use them as a diagnostic tool on pregnant women. Oh, nice one, She's Alice amazing. Stewart. There's someone at Maastricht University Medical Center in the Netherlands who found an x-ray machine that would have been similar to the one that Röntgen was using and developing and he used it to recreate that photo that Röntgen took of his wife's hand and he worked out that it would have taken around 90 minutes <gasps> to expose I don't know how she kept so still so yeah, it didn't get, get really blurry yeah. in 90 minutes. And that compared to today's 20 millisecond images, a little bit different, 20 milliseconds to 90 minutes, Anna Bertha would have had a dose of radiation one and a half thousand times greater than one of today's x-ray oh doses. Oh my God. And I wonder how much over like the legal health limit too. <laughs> so Mary Curie, right, we were talking about how she was involved in uh, radioactive elements and uh measuring radioactivity. If you didn't know that story about her, you might not know that she actually attributes the illness that leads to her death to x-ray exposure rather than to radium. Really? Do we know that that's true? That's what I read. That that's oh what she attributes it to. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Because I, I always thought that it was because she was working with these radioactive heavy elements. As is always the case with this pod, uh, we like to wrap up by looking at the developments since our story happened. How have x-rays been used since the early to mid-1900s? I'm going to give you my top three uses. Oh, I love a list. Number one. Different molecular structure in matter would uh, manifest different reflection patterns. And from the reflection patterns, you can decipher what is in the structure of the molecules that you use. That is often used to identify different types of rocks or different type of crystals from one another because each one has its own reflection pattern, if you will. And what was the other super important use of X-ray crystallography, Marin? Oh, I don't know. Just the helical structure of DNA. Yeah, no biggie. <laughs> One of the biggest discoveries of the 20th century. So it's the 1950s. Rosalind Franklin used X-ray crystallography and she produced these photos of the now iconic X pattern. And that was used to determine that the structure of DNA is indeed a double helix Incredible. structure and sadly well more than sadly frustrating frustratingly angrily not a word she died before she could share the Nobel Prize with Watson and Crick yep. who of course are often credited with discovering the structure of DNA from that image yep second use of x-rays the number two to peer into distant galaxies <gasps> you can use them to gaze into space yeah, so some telescopes are built to detect x-rays for example, the Chandra X-ray Observatory on board the space shuttle Columbia, which was launched in 1999. That's helped astronomers discover black holes and understand dark matter. No way. Yeah. You That's just did a little cool. dance in the studio. I know, I just got really excited. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and finally, number three, super cool use of x-rays in history and in art. They enable historians to study Egyptian mummies without opening them up. Oh, that's so cool. And in art, you can use them to see underpaintings. Oh, so you can see like the different layers that the artist went through to get there. Even better, you can see not just the rough sketches, but you can see what the other artworks were that they're then like, I'm going to reuse that canvas Ooh. and paint on top of it. <laughs> so you get Vermeer's mess ups under there. <laughs> Let me find this for you, actually. Or I guess then you could also tell if something was a forgery. Yeah, absolutely. Or like who did a crap job restoring something. <laughs> 
Okay, have a look at this. This is Picasso's painting. Uh, I think it's called Old Man and the Guitar or something like that. Oh, yeah. But the x-ray, you can see, it's that one on the right-hand side. From his blue period. Oh, my God, there's a woman under there. Yeah. This is so crazy. It looks like a double exposure photograph, you yeah. know, when you have those two layers on a, on a photo. And, oh, that's creepy. It's even cooler than the first one. There's a whole other painting under there. Yeah, I think it's a woman and a sheep. I don't know if you can see that. <laughs> Oh, yeah. So you obviously went, ah, I don't like the, the painting of the woman and the sheep anymore. I'm going to do that old dude with the guitar. <laughs> Artistic choices. <laughs> Crazy. Those three things, plus loads of other uses of x-rays, have come from Ronken noticing that faint glow in the corner of a room, realising it was due to some new type of ray produced by the Crookes tube, and then the medical community harnessing that. In 2009, the x-ray was named the most important modern scientific discovery. Whoa. That was in a, um, a poll of 50,000 people that came through the Science Museum That's in the UK. old claim. Penicillin came second. Yeah, I was going to say, hey, where's my antibiotic? Yeah came second. Antibiotic representation. I asked Hassan what Ronkin's discovery means to him. I think X-ray has revolutionized humanity as revolutionized science, have revolutionized medicine. I mean, before the discovery of X-rays, we, we just guessed things. We would do exploratory surgeries. Exploratory surgery is really a scary thing. Imagine there is something wrong with you and the doctor has no idea. And they just open you up to just see and they close you down again i mean why you want to go through that process with medical imaging you don't have to do that anymore we actually can probe through the body three-dimensionally now four-dimensionally with time as well and see exactly what's going on so if you were to do a surgery you're much more purposeful as to why are you doing it and how you're going to do it right you don't just have to have a random rummage about anymore yeah let's cut this bit open <laughs> Have a poke around. Let's no, just see. Let's no, just see. Seal it back up again. So yeah, I think he just kind of really encapsulates it. I had a lot of fun chatting with him. I really, really did. And He's I, like a neat dude. I think I'm gonna gonna give him the last line of this. Actually, X-rays are really cool. Medical imaging is really, really cool. There is a lot of things that we have been able to do now, and we should not take it as granted. Agree. Agree. Although I will say, I'm pretty glad we don't have the Minshew stores anymore. It would be cool though, wouldn't it? No, of course I'm with you. Of course I'm with you. That was so awesome, Greg. I loved learning more about the history of that. I mean, every time I go in now to get an x-ray, hopefully I won't break my elbow again anytime soon, but you never know. I'm a clumsy person. <laughs> every time I go in, I'm just going to think about all the people who contributed to this mm. and how we got here. And this kind of extra chapter of Curie's life that you never yeah. knew about. Madam Curie. If you enjoyed learning about the history of x-rays as much as I did, then make sure you rate and review this podcast wherever you're listening to it because it really helps us out, as does you telling everyone you know about it. Your brother, your mother, your dog. We have more episodes coming soon. Dogs listen to podcasts. Yeah. Great. Just tell leave them on for them at yeah, home. Tell them. We got more episodes coming soon, so please subscribe to catch those as they come out. And if you have a story from science history you want us to explore, a discovery, an invention, a technology, a person that you want to know the story behind, you can email us at brilliant at seeker.com. That's brilliant at seeker.com. Let's roll the credits. Surprisingly Brilliant is a podcast from Seeker. Today's episode was researched, written and produced by me, Greg Foote. If you would like to follow more of what I'm up to or to get in touch, check me out on Twitter and Instagram at Greg Foote or on the YouTubes. This story was listened to by me, Marin Hunsberger. I'm at Marin B on Instagram, at Marin Hunsberger on Twitter. 
Marin Hunsberger on YouTube, and I also host and write for Seeker's YouTube channel. Our expert producer was Emily Feld. Our editor was Jeremy Schmidt. Our studio engineer was Ariana Markowitz. Our supervising producer was David Zwick. And our executive producers are Brian Pendergast, Brett Kushner, and Mangish Hadakadur. Finally, another big thanks to our guest expert, Dr. Esan Sami, Professor of Radiology at Duke University, North Carolina. If you want to read any of the stuff that I read when I was doing the research for this, see any images, etc. I'll put the links in the uh, show notes. Tune in next time, guys. I'll be telling the story. Cannot wait. Talk to you then. See ya. Bye.